Welcome, everyone, through all time and space to an all-new episode of Weebs on the Weekends, a podcast where we break down the anime news highlights of the week and give a retrospective look at anime that premiered 10 years ago. Today's episode, we'll be talking about the news from the second week of November 2020 and give our thoughts on the first three episodes of the 2010 anime Night Raid 1931. My name is Jay Johnson. I'm part-time weeb and full-time English language sensei. And with me, as always, is my co-host, Sam Martinez, part-time weeb and full-time automail mechanic. How are you doing today, Sam? Taloha ni Faikoga Johnson. E mai koi? Tohola ni. Oh, interesting. All right. So, again, we talked about Maui yes, last episode, and mm-hmm. I recall that you don't know where Jakarta is. <laughs> so, Taloha ni. Interesting. Taloha. Taloha ni. Taloha. Ah, Taloha. Um, hmm. All right. So, uh, we haven't done any, like, like hard Pacific languages, like, anything, like, further east, I guess, would be east of Fiji. So, I'm going to say it's something probably in the archipelagos of the Pacific. So, let's go with, um, uh, let's go with something on some Hawaiian language. Oh, bro, that is really, really close. Yeah, so the language that I've chosen is known as the Tokelauan language, and it is native to Tokelau of the Swains Island, which is in the American Samoas uh, over here in the States. And it is a Polynesian language with, let me see, it was cited in 1987 uh, in to have uh, 14,000, no, sorry, 1,400 people speak it in Swains Island and 2,100 elsewhere uh, in the world, mainly in New Zealand. And it's also known as an Austronesian language. And again, just there's not a whole lot of people that speak it, but there are some people who are trying to make sure that this language endures in time. For instance, there is a director of education in uh, Tokelau. I think their name, I'm not sure how to pronounce it. Hopefully I'm not butchering it too much. Loimata Lupati. And he right now is in the process of translating the Bible from English to Tokelauan so that uh, the the language can continue to thrive. And right now there's... So again, it's approximately 3,000 people in New Zealand who can speak it, and uh, very few people in the Hawaiian and Samoan islands that speak it, but that's where it originated. All right, cool. So I'm going to put this in my win column then. All right, (laughs) but how am I doing, Sam? Doing pretty well, considering my city is back under strict quarantine procedures, where even... I was, it was so odd going out this, uh, going out today and just seeing everyone back in like heavy duty mask and cover ups Mm -hmm. and even going to my market, people were wearing those like hazmat suits. They were cleaning and like cleaning the supermarket out, like keeping all the produce, like produce, like very, um, organized, cleaned. And even like the trash people were out today, which I rarely ever see like trash pickup on, uh, like a regular 
bases. Like it's usually mm-hmm. like once a month where the trash like piles up like far past the container, and like it was barely halfway full today because like now the sanitation department is like doing full rotations of uh, truck um, deployment basically. So yeah, That's a lot of things have changed. Yeah, a lot of things mm-hmm. have changed in like the past couple of days. Like I can't go to school anymore. Schools are closed. Most uh, supermarkets are like closed or under strict regulations. Even there is a quarantine, not quarantine, there's a curfew going on right now. So can't leave your house between 11 p.m. and 6 a.m. unless for like extreme emergencies. Yeah. Same thing with public transportation shut down. Cops are on basically every bus route corner, making sure people are in their proper place at the proper time. People are limiting their... Uh, travel to you know their daily routine to just stay indoors and this is just because like a recent it's not even an outbreak it's just like a couple of confirmed cases has been confirmed and confirmed can confirm cases have been confirmed but yeah uh, again our numbers are really low here so like everyone's not freaking out but everyone's taking proper measures so it's been a very weird week Oh, yeah, for sure. But it's just like a weird thing of, oh, yeah, so this is what some of the world's still dealing with. I kind of basically forgot, really, that, you know, the big C words going on. But, Mm -hmm. yeah, it was English week this week. So I had two good days of English competition with my students, the spelling bee and Jeopardy, which I love Jeopardy. How did you guys hold that? Was that all online as well? Uh, well, Jep- uh, well, that was before the quarantine happened. So quarantine oh, was okay. enacted on Wednesday. So we had Monday and Tuesday with English week. So okay. yeah, nice stuff. Uh, my 11th grade students beat out my 12th grade students, which was nice to see because I like to see my uh, 12th grade students get you know taken down a notch. <laughs> uh, so that was cool. I wasn't biased or anything, but you know I was like, yeah, doesn't sound like take it. Them down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it doesn't sound like that, but you know, you know, I have to still be professional in front of my kids. Um, but yeah, pretty good week, very mellow week actually. Given that I've been basically stuck doing virtual courses again since mm-hmm. the last time I did that was when the quarantine first uh, was enacted back in like yeah. March or February. So it's very odd to go from virtual teaching back to regular teaching and class teaching back to virtual teaching because it was like spur of the moment because like four a.m the department of healthcare was like, Hey guys, school shut down. So in four hours, you need to start doing virtual classes again. I'm like, Oh, cool. Okay. (laughs) So uh, my week has been very mellow so far, but Sam, how about you? How was your week? It's been kind of interesting, a little bit uh, similar to yours because we have, we've had some scares with some hurricanes and it, it was kind of funny because I'm still in this pandemic mindset, you know, trying to be mindful of where I go. I normally just go to work and I come back home uh, or go to the store just in case I need to. And the first time in a while that I've been to the mall, I went to go get some shoes and some manga last week. And it's been at least about three months uh, since I last did that. And it was earlier this week we had a tropical storm happen uh, will we'll come by and we had schools shut down because of that. And I was just like, oh, crap, I forgot. 
because of where I live is like we have to deal with hurricanes too. So it's you know the uh, stress of the pandemic on top of uh, potential hurricanes, but uh, it didn't hit us too bad. There's uh, some other parts of the state where uh, they're getting hit by the tropical storm and. There's another hurricane somewhere out there in the ocean, but I don't I don't think it's gonna uh, hit us too too bad. As far as the quarantine thing, do you know if it's gonna? Did, did they give uh, an estimated date on which when they're gonna lift that, or it's just gonna be uh, do as we say when we say it type deal for you guys? Yeah, we have a national holiday coming up on Monday, so it's going to be through that. So hopefully mid, uh, mid-time, mid-time, mid-week next week mm-hmm. is the official like release date of the quarantine procedures, or at least these stricter versions of it. Because like, right now, alcohol's not being sold, and that was kind of a... You know, not a weird thing for you know teachers to get drunk yeah. on the weekends, but it was like... Oh wow, yeah. There's no beer, <laughs> kind of moment what when I was out shopping now? today. <laughs> right? Yeah. What do teachers do on the weekends if they can't drink? Um, but yeah, so like sometime on the 17th mm-hmm. is the official release date. But you know, uh, the country has been pushing back, like opening up their borders for like the yeah. past three months. So that's been pushed till December 31st, when like a lot of foreigners and people do have to get their visa renewed. So it's kind of coinciding mm-hmm. with that. So it feels like it's mm-hmm. coinciding with that because they're like, Hey, your visa is up. Get about, get out of our country, which a lot of like expats, which is short for expatriates yeah. are kind of dealing with that. Now they kind of have to go back to their country, even though it might be safer where they've been living their, you know, working life in another country. So it's very interesting to see that that's going to be a situation I might have to consider and come back to the dumpster fire of the place that you live. Who knows? Hopefully think things would uh, work out for you so that, you know, you, you can at least still be in a place of stability and not have to deal with the craziness that's going on over here, at least like until we get a handle on things and allow people in properly and things of that nature. But on a lighter note, today I'm going to be going to the theater to catch that double feature for the Heaven's Feel Fate Stay movies that we've been talking about. So it's finally happening, and I'm fairly excited to sit down and read for about four hours. (laughs) All right. Pretty cool. So – then, yeah, you have that lighter news already, but do you want to actually hear some news of the week, Sam? Exactly. I want to hear some hard, fast news. <laughs> All right. So I got some hard, fast news for you, Sam. So, yes, the time codes will always be in the description. So we go to our anime news highlights of the week. So, big story. Well, a little uh, small stories for this week, just given that... Uh, I had a very mellow week, so I was in a very mm-hmm. mellow kind of mood set. But let's talk about, I think, something that maybe I'm more excited about because I'm a big fan of this anime for this fall season of anime. So, new story of the week is that Crunchyroll has announced the English dub of Juju Kaisen, I'm Standing on a Million Lives, and Nobilis will premiere on the 20, 20th 
of November. So right now there is a uh, there is a yes jujitsu in English yes <laughs> I'm sorry <laughs> oh it's okay yeah so yeah so Crunchyroll has been like this big proponent of making sure that all their animes in their library are accessible to the most people so not only are they having their English cast uh, announced with this as well as their Spanish there's Portuguese French and German so they're kind of tackling those big uh, those main core languages that you know a lot of their viewers in the Western Hemisphere, I guess, are a part of. Again, like a lot of the uh, Asian language are not really accessible, but you know you have Netflix uh, Japan that has a lot of their animes only in Japanese and not much of the English. But Crunchyroll has done a very good job of making sure that a lot of these highlighted languages are getting the notice so they can get the most viewer base. So yeah, Sam, look forward to that. So this is Juju Kaisen. There's another anime that's called like over the moon. It's a very fluffy light uh, romance comedy that I've been kind of eyeballing for a while, but I haven't really been in the mood to check that out since we only have so much adult time to watch anime nowadays. But yeah, yeah. I'm standing on a million lives is a isekai of the season, which everyone's been kind of been hype over given that it has a very unique premise. Well, not unique premise, but at least an interesting enough premise to say, Oh, the isekai of the season has something about it. And then Nobilis of course has the webtoons, partnership with Crunchyroll so that was kind of a long time waiting for but uh, are you interested in this dub Sam well you already said you're interested so yeah yes. it's interesting I'm, right <laughs> I'm I'm really interested in uh, JJK to see what type of uh, voices that they're going to be giving the characters and I'm actually kind of surprised now that you mentioned it that over there in Japan they don't have a lot of the English dub over there because you would think that it's just so weird because with a culture that romanticizes English because we have well, – I've been exposed to like some of the uh, – some of their music. You know, They would have random bits of English in there and even uh, in some of their TV shows or talk shows, they'll have a phrase of English that's you know like thank you or something – that's supposed to be like happy or uplifting you know like they have a uh, an elevated view of the english language you would think that they would have more works over there in english that can expose them to that and i would think that like something as popular as juju kaisen is becoming that they would have that available to them in english so it's kind of surprising to hear that they don't have as many english dub over there in japan as I had originally thought. Yeah, that's fair to say because again, you said it's like very romanticized, which is very true, but there's also this kind of dual kind of mentality about it is that Japanese is our language. So it's very much of a soul that anime is a Japanese product. So they're kind of in the camp of, well, if it has a direct financial benefit to have it dubbed in this way so like again the english-speaking population in japan is very small compared to yeah. what you would might expect given how popular a global medium of anime is actually but yeah i think it's more of a 
thing of production costs. Again, like having voice actors, like really talented, credited voice actors is a costly thing, especially when the West kind of has like their SAG protection. And if you really want to get a good, talented voice actor, since Japanese production companies have kind of that high expectation that all their voice actors go through training, they go through schooling to make sure that they can deliver the best performance possible. So I'm not surprised that, again, like, that's not something they kind of prioritize. They kind of keep it with the Japanese um, voice actors only. But, yeah, very exciting that Crunchyroll has been making it more of a standard in the industry to have, like, an English, uh, Spanish, Portuguese, blah, 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 language version of their anime. And yeah, even, they're even going back through yeah. their catalog to do that to some other popular uh, animes of the past. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right, cool, cool, cool. So next news story, we have a very short news story this week. So this is our second one of the week. Uh, Let's go with Studio Ghibli news. Yes. So this is a follow-up to a story that we had a couple weeks ago. But the news story of this week is that Studio Ghibli's first CG feature film, The Earwig and the Witch, will debut on television on December 30th. Oh, do we have a trailer out for is there a trailer up for it now, or one hasn't been A trailer? Yet? There are key visuals, which, mm-hmm. again, we brought up when we reported the story a couple of weeks ago. A couple of weeks ago? A couple of months ago, maybe. But, yeah, the key visuals are out. I'm not aware if Studio Ghibli has done their uh, push for their trailer yet, given that we're basically two months out still. Oh, no, we're actually a month and a half out. So yeah. it actually might drop in next month given that it's going to just be a TV film, so it's not really the big uh, production push that Mm -hmm. they need to advertise for their viewer base to come to a theater. So that might come in a couple weeks. But yeah, we talked about this earlier as Goro Miyazaki, who is the son of Hayao Miyazaki's uh, first, like he's kind of pushed this idea that Studio Ghibli needs to go into a direction of using more CGI features. And mm-hmm. as he's directed a couple other Studio Ghibli films, like from Up on Top Poppy Hill, but this is, again is from a uh, adaptation or a, a material source as How's Moving Castle by mm-hmm. Diane Jones. Diane Jones, yeah, Diane Jones. So it's good that again, like Studio Ghibli's kind of pushing this. Uh, we talked about this before that they always have an interest in British literature, so. Sam, are you looking forward to whenever this comes to America? Oh no, I definitely am. I was I was under the impression that this was the movie that How Hayao Miyazaki, the the father, was working on because I remember a few years ago I heard that he was working on another movie having to deal with a caterpillar of some kind. But it's good that they are doing a movie uh that's sort of pushing their limits i know they did a tv show on amazon i can't remember what it was called that was done in uh that was done in cgi and it was nice but like they could still do a little bit better to make it more fluid and to give you that ghibli magic that they are known for i mean you, you you've definitely seen that in works like uh the video game nino kuni or um yeah like uh, like the video games for Nino Kuni so they definitely have the capabilities of giving us a wonderful work so I'm very interested to see 
how this new one plays out. Yeah, you're right about what you mentioned about. Uh, so yeah, not a caterpillar, but an earwig. Yeah, so that's okay. yeah. So he was working on this, uh, on the script for this. So this is written by Hayao Miyazaki and then just directed by his son. So okay. this was happening at the not the downfall of his career, but you know this is back when he was first proposing that he was going to go into retirement. So and this has been like back. basically. Right, then he came back, kind of, quotes, kind of. <laughs> kind of like how um, the dude that does the Metal Gear Solid game kind of comes back and forth. Kind of just handpicks his properties and then says he's retired in the meantime. But yeah, so this has been basically a work for the last seven years of Hayao Miyazaki, and he just passed it on to his son to direct. So yeah, we're going to look forward to that on the 30th of December, and whenever that has a you know, North America release, we'll probably talk about it again, because Studio Ghibli films do pretty well over here. Yeah, I don't All really, right. why, why do you suppose that is? Uh, the Studio Ghibli films do well in North America? Yeah. Uh, for one, that because they very much have this resonance of how Americans or North Americans treat cartoons and how they place value in their media consumption. So, like, if we talk about uh, something other than Co Ghibli, their parallel would be like Pixar or Disney. Mm-hmm. So, but then like titles like Akira that kind of satirize like militarism or even Grave uh, Graveyard of the Fire. Fireflies. What is that? Why am I? Yeah, yeah fireflies. Of, thank you. Grave of the fireflies. Yeah, exactly. Had had kind of given a light to like children surviving the dropping of the atomic bombs on Japan. Like a lot of the Studio Ghibli films don't really have anything specifically targeted at Americans, even though a lot of anime or anime movies at the time uh, had that's where they were coming from of course like we talked about during our mecha review that mm. a lot of the mechdronic came out about the anxieties that were post uh, world war ii mentalities yeah. of people growing up in that kind of society so i think that's kind of what it is is that studio ghibli has always been connected with like the disney aesthetic or the pixar aesthetic okay where it made it more palatable and I would say like the themes were more digestible for us to take up. And like you said, because we have that history with Disney, we sort of uh, flock to it. Yeah, palatable is the word I was looking for. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, all right. So moving on to the last news story. This was the maybe the biggest news story of the week is that the Attack on Titan manga is nearly 2% ways to being completed so this came out during the reveal of a statue of the three main protagonists of the series looking up at the uh, dam that inspired the author to write the series so in the hometown of the author there's basically it's by a giant hydroponic 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 dam Mm -hmm. and the statue is set up like looking to mimic how in the show, Aaron, Mikasa, and Armin are looking up to see the Colossal Titan look over the wall of no. Wall Maria. I think Wall Maria is the first one that yeah. gets destroyed. You're right, Wall Maria. Yeah, so yeah, so right now the manga is at 32 volumes. At first it premiered back in 2009, and then the anime followed in 2013. 
So it's about 2% of the way completed. And it's very interesting to see that the final season is actually going to conclude before the actual manga concludes. Wait, so, wait, so season so, four. So, so, so what you're telling me is that right now the author of Attack on Titan is pulling an Ichiro Oda, the, the writer of One Piece, saying that the end is going to be in so far in the future that there is more story to come. Is, is, uh, is, that, is that what I hear you yeah, saying? Like, uh, no, I don't think so. What has Oda said about how so, far One Piece is from completion? So th- this has happened a couple times when he was asked, like, how much longer does he think that it will take for One Piece to end? I think it was around the time of the the Paramount War. He was saying, oh, it's five years from being done. Obviously, it's not. And then uh, a couple of years ago, they're like, how much longer do you think it's going to be? Oh, it's five years from being done. I, I doubt that's going to happen. So it, it, it's just that when when you said that it's 2% done, does, does he mean that he is almost done with the work or we've only hit 2% of the entire story that he is trying to tell? Oh, got you. Okay. No, no, I got you what you understand now. So, yeah, he's saying that it's 98% finished. So, yeah, yeah, and it's not even – yeah, so Oda (laughs) has always been provoked to reveal how, how, like, far One Piece has to be Mm -hmm. finished because, like, everyone's, like, excited to see how it all wraps up given that it's been, like, a couple of – not a couple of decades, but, you know, it's a – odyssey of a story yeah yeah thank you yeah thank you yeah so it's an odyssey of a story but yeah the author of attack on titan kind of just dropped it as in saying it as stating a fact is like this is to commemorate that my manga is almost finished so he's definitely saying that it is 98 percent complete with two percent to be left to be written yeah. Okay. yeah, not in a situation to a lot saying like, oh, this 2% is going to last another 10 years, but <laughs> literally like if you pace it out, he's saying like the time from 2009 to now, so given that it's just 2%, it's projected that he means like in the next year is going to be finished, and which is going to cons- coincide with the anime concluding as well. So the anime is going to wrap up before the manga wraps up essentially. So this would be well. So this seems like this is going to be a Game of Thrones situation. So with the with the anime, is it going to have? Do we know if it's going to have the same ending as the manga? Uh, as it looks, since the production company IG production IG, <laughs> the studio production IG is switching over to Mappa. For this mm-hmm. final season, season four, and it's also called like the last season, that they are going to go ahead with wrapping up the final arc of the story in a original anime only way. So like we see that a couple times in animes uh, de- deciding to pick their own ending. Uh, and <laughs> it's uh, oh. you have something else to say then? Uh <laughs> Uh, yeah, so yeah, so it's going to wrap up, which it seems to be again from all the promotional. It seems to be in good hands with Mappa. We talk about Mappa very much. Twenty twenty has been the year of Mappa, so I'm not has, surprised that 
Yeah, and plus the writers are basically the same ones that started from the uh, from the beginning. And again, the studio's changing, not the writers. Uh, some of the directors have changed. The visual art style has changed as well. So I'm not very you know, in the camp of it's going to be the worst thing ever. It's just going to be, again, a situation that we've seen in other animes. It's just going to be a different version from what we're getting in the manga. So, again, they're standalone, uh, they're standalone properties, but the anime is definitely going to have its own original ending. Dude, if that's the case, just push back the anime then. Wait until that 2% is done. That way it can just feel whole because... As you said, we've seen this before. We've seen this in Blue Exorcist. We've seen this in Soul Eater. We've seen this in Full Metal Alchemist. And, 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 and th those were good anime, but the ending was crap because it was an anime original. I mean, for instance, with Soul Eater, I was so mad at the ending that I had to go back and reread. I had to go back and read the manga to figure out what happened, and I had such a better, uh, I had such a better satisfaction with the ending of the manga. Uh, I'm trying to think of. There was another anime that had an anime ending. Um, I'm trying to think of one that was good, but it was like an anomaly, and. The, the main reason why I bring up Game of Thrones, too, is because with Game of Thrones, it's a, it's a very similar situation. It was the same writers from the beginning that was doing an adaptation. And for the final season of Game of Thrones, they were a little bit full of themselves. It was like, oh, we were in this writing since the beginning. We know how to write the ending. And in the last episode, they essentially jam-packed three endings into it. And it was just a hot mess. So, yeah, I, that's fair to say. Yeah, it, it's, yeah it's just, I think it's yeah. Go on. I'm sorry. Oh, it's just I think it's a little bit more in the case of given that the the anime is going to end at basically ninety percent of the story, is that it feels like that two percent can't really be all that critical. I guess wrapping up a story that's been going on since you know for the past what 11 years so if the two percent is basically the epilogue to the story then i don't really see a terrible way of letting it conclude where if the anime does end with 98 percent, then maybe the other two percent can be a ova or it can be maybe a special or a movie and wrap okay. it up like that versus letting the yeah. anime be extended, which can definitely add a lot of foreseeable costs that they're probably not mm -hmm. willing to uh, risk on given the poor reception of season three. That, that, that I can see. I can see them where they can write it in a way to where like if the last 2% of the manga is as detrimental to the story as I anticipate that it could be, then they could end the last season in a note to lead up into, like you said, an OVA or into a movie because they haven't actually – the only movies that they've done for Attack on Titan are live-action movies. We haven't seen any animated movies for it. So it would be interesting to see an animated film for Attack on Titan. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, so I'm not too worried about this, but if it does get into the – 
area of like what you said like soul eater which i don't think like soul eater and even naruto and like full metal alchemist kind of had the industry problem of the anime catching up to the manga versus the anime now for attack on titan is catching up to the manga versus the manga just being completely finished and them going off of nothing to write their own ending. So I think they have enough to say, like, we know where the story's going, that even though, like, this might be different from how the manga changes, then we still have our own way to have those two kind of blend together. And this is going from the anime's first season was in 2013, then second season, 2017, and then 2018 for season three. So I just mentioned that because I don't think that attack on titan is as beloved as it used to be like back in again Mm -hmm. the beginning of the decade where everyone was getting into the streaming game like attack on titan and sao being sword art line were kind of the heavy hitters but like sees the four-year gap kind of killed attack on titan and i don't think people are in this headspace of we care so much that the anime is going to finish before the manga finishes True. And I would say, like, right now, as you said, because there was that uh, gap in between the seasons, it did uh, make Attack on Titan lose some steam. Uh, But it it still was relevant with some of the video games that it had come out within those times, and it had uh, the chibi uh, school days type stuff to make it relevant until the later seasons come out so it it, is it's just that i've been burned too many times by having anime original endings but as you said because it's just like 98 percent, so like that last two percent it could just be an epilogue as you said so my, my 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 fears have been placated a little bit but now now i'm just sort of realizing that i'm a little worried about jjk because the number of chapters that's out for jjk is only like 168 and it seems like the anime it's a really good adaptation but it seems like the anime could catch up really really quickly and i don't know how they're going to go uh with that or what they're going to do with that work yeah that's fair but that's why i'm here sam to placate (laughs) your fears so yes that wraps up the news for the week very short news week a lot of the news was about uh, about the winter anime season for 2021 mm-hmm. so we'll probably come back to this week as like oh yeah we should have talked about that three weeks ago but given that we're still in the depth of fall 2020 i thought a lot of these stories can just be delayed until later but those are the oh, stories yeah. that caught my attention sam so can you tell me what caught your attention about night raid as we go into our anime discussion yes let's do it so the reason why I was intrigued by Night Raid is because of the spy theme that's going on. It, it 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 just seems like it's up my alley. You know, it has mystery, historical fiction, and supernatural stuff. And when I was looking at the synopsis, it seemed a little bit like Bakuno. And I was just very, very interested like with the espionage. And it also had to deal with a time period that I wasn't really familiar with. But what about you? What, what what got you interested in Night Raid? Because I know before we talked about the podcast, you it mentioned you mentioned that it was picked up on your radar too. 
Yeah, so the thing about Night Raid is really hard to look up Night Raid because Night Raid's also what the Assassin's Group and Agami no Kills called. So like oh, everywhere you okay. look for Night Raid is like you find Agami no Kill and it's such mm-hmm. a significantly different series, but about so that's what kind of got me onto the Night Raid train. <laughs> and it's not even <laughs> Night Raid, it's like Sen. Senko no Night Raid 1931. Yeah. So the 1931 is talking about the year which all this is taking place. And again, like the it's a historic. It's, it has the genre tag of historic because it is definitely taking place in like uh, known historical events. Again, not something that has really been addressed before about Japanese occupation of mainland China after the post World War One events mm-hmm. post-world war one events but yeah there was a bunch of wars during that time again not many people are familiar with in the west but you know it's interesting that japan took or you know this japanese studio took uh interest in this period to have an original property and again i'm always interested in original properties which this is one mm-hmm. uh, so that's kind of what caught it onto my radar okay cool so we can uh talk a little bit about the summary of the anime as you said Earlier, it's set in Shanghai, uh, 1931, where uh, Japan is sort of occupying Shanghai. We were uh, dealing with the Japanese Imperial Army, and they're, I guess, like the way that the first few episodes started off, it seemed as though there was sort of like a pseudo Cold War going on between Japanese, uh, the Chinese, and the Russian. It all in the city in this time and as you said it's like right after world war one and we sort of follow this group known as the sakurai kikan and i can't remember jay do we know which side that this group was with was it with the japanese imperialist or was it with the chinese uh faction yeah, they were so Sakurai is a spy organization with the Imperial mm-hmm. Imperial Japanese forces. Okay. Because what one of the people that was in that group, you know, they went to a military academy, but I, I was just a bit confused because the people that comprise of this group, there's four of them. One is from was from uh an what was from a military academy and another one came from a wealthy family but it seemed as though she was from a chinese family so that's why i was a bit confused because i i wasn't really sure whose ties that these guys were with so to speak but uh in, in this group we then find out that the operatives that op that are within this group they have supernatural powers uh one of them being Yukina Sonogi. This is the uh, female that I had mentioned earlier. She has uh, pretty uh, much psychic power. She acts like the Miss Martian of the group where she can link up to them psychically and they can have their own communication network while they're on missions. And she can uh, transmit images to them and she can also read people's memories if she has physical contact with them as well. Another uh, person, uh, her butler slash bodyguard, his name is Natsume Kaguya. 
and with his ability it seems like he has a variation various eye powers where he has telescopic vision as well as x-ray vision it seems as though that there is a limit on his x-ray vision like he can only see uh past so many things i think because in one of the episodes he was trying to look inside of a suitcase but he couldn't see what was inside of it because the object was wrapped in something inside of suitcase so that that's why i would think that he has a limit to how many barriers he can see through and the third person this person is from the military academy that grew up his name is kazura iha and his power it works a little bit like teleportation it, it sort of reminds me of another power from another anime where like he sort of bends space uh to him and it seems as though with his powers he can only teleport where he sees i don't know if he has a limit to how far but it seems as though he has to have a direct line of sight so that he can see where he's going and for the first person maybe you can help me out a little bit with his power jay his name is aoi miyoshi and from what I can tell, his power is time dependent. Like he only has a certain amount of time per day in which he can use his power. But I'm unclear as to what his power is. Okay, yeah. So as I understood it, again, they're very much understated in their mm-hmm. power use, their superpower use. It's very much like it's not even in the show tags uh, that these are super powered individuals and they yeah. don't really rely on them as you would expect like super powered people would they're very much a last resort so mm-hmm. maybe that's because of their limitations maybe they're maybe they will see that there's like a maybe physical damage that it does to them but for right now it just looks like uh they're just completely like um depowered somewhat of special abilities like you said about the teleportation guy he doesn't really teleport in the way like we would think like nightcrawler from x-men kind of teleports yeah. where it could be anywhere that he thinks of it has to be a direct line of sight so technically if you blind him he can't teleport i guess would be like his obvious weakness mm-hmm. so about Ali, 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 Ali. Um, I just say Ali. Yes, thank you. Yeah, Al. Yeah, is that it? Looks like even in the opening of the show, there's like a lot of emphasis on his watch, and like he does Mm -hmm. have to keep track of his like time uh, allotment for his power. So I think it has to do with. Oh wow, it's really hard to explain because again, like they don't put a lot of emphasis on it. Like no one goes out of their way to explain it. You just pick up what they can do from their context clue. Uh, that they give you just how they're using their power. So what I think his power is, is basically something to do with like reinforcement or maybe barriers, I guess. Cause there is like, so like you said, like the tele, the telepath uh, user mm-hmm. has to have like permissioned somewhat to read people's minds or to like connect because in the second episode with the violinist uh and like the violin is supposed to be like a secret spy yeah so they're trying to track down a spy organization on the second episode but like she has to ask like the person the permission to read their mind so again like that works if you're working in a team but that's a very 
highly restrictive skill or ability if you can't read people's minds without getting their permission first. So I think with Ali, he has some kind of, I guess it's hard to explain since we don't really get showcase like how it actually works. So I would say like yeah. it probably has something to do with like creating force fields or like stopping movement in some kind of way. Probably yet he can control kinetic energy if I would have to guess. And like that has to do with like kind of like fire force with show's ability is that he's expanding the universe by controlling the temperature. So it's probably something like that. Maybe it's it's just a bit weird because as you said, uh, there are times where it seems like he has a force field like ability. For instance, he could, uh, bend bullets that are being shot towards him and redirect their path. And then there are other times when we see him uh, use his powers to help flip somebody. And there was another instance where we see him essentially throw a package a lot farther than you know that he could physically throw a package. So it's it's sort of like a mixture of invisible woman's ability where maybe he can make barriers and a i think as you said a telekinetic ability where he can uh push things so i would say like out of the three episodes that i've seen that was probably my main complaint because he is the main character and the way that they are showcasing his powers as you said you have to learn from the context clues but every time he uses his powers it's very wildly different i guess that's just a testament to his character and the fact that he is very flexible and adaptable to his situations that he can that, that he can use his power in many different ways but then again you know it's sort of hard for us to infer what his power is and they don't really set up the show to really try to figure that out they set the show up to where we're trying to where the mystery is, is trying to figure out the, uh, Yukina, uh, the, the girl, the woman's, uh, involvement in this because her brother is in the enemy spy faction and it seems as though the mystery is introduced to us at the end of the third episode on, uh, that he, uh, had left when she was younger and it turns out that he's with his enemy spy organization, and she joined up with this uh, group Night Raid to even f uh, to figure out what happened with her brother and what he's doing. And so it seems as though, like that's the route the show is going to be going. Yeah, it's very nice a long term investment for the uh, audience to kind of get. Mm -hmm. um, involved in the story is that like she's our tethered to why we would like come back week to week for us to find out what's going on with the brother so like there is a like there is in episode three is their introduction to their antagonist of the series mm -hmm. the dude that basically has like all their abilities essentially where he can teleport he has telepathy uh, he's a pretty good I think his name is uh, Kusei, Kusei so he is working for um, the main character's brother and the brother disappeared after the death of their father so there's this whole surrounding mm -hmm. case of like oh did he kill the father maybe he left because maybe she was going to kill him so like there's a lot of intrigue given that the world is based about based around like espionage so that's kind of the world yeah. building that goes on in the three episodes so 
it's very episodic is that they get basically a case every episode so like episode one there's the rescue of a kidnapped japanese uh business owner who's mm-hmm. like selling secrets to like the uh kumite kumite which is like kumite. The other... <laughs> sorry wow yes the chinese yeah, yeah the chinese no, no, imperial no, no, forces that <laughs> yes i know uh, that yeah, basically uh, got ousted to Taiwan. In the second episode, there's the violinist that we talked about, who's like a Russian Chinese spy. And mm-hmm. then in episode three, we kind of get a, a department store bombing uh, threat. And then like they all have to work together to scatter to go throughout the city to find the bombs. And then mm-hmm. it's an opportunity to attack or kidnap the sister. So a lot of this going on. So like you get a lot of partner interactions given that the fourth episode you see like the the all four members of the team partnering up and they do have to work together to take out this assassin dude and it's really interesting so like that power thing with Aoi doesn't really bother me in the way that maybe it should because it's so understated it's so inconsequential to the story like I said like supernatural or fantasy isn't really in the genre tag so the one thing that really caught my attention about this, Sam, was that it reminded me a lot about X-Men First Class, oh, uh, yeah. if you've ever seen that film. That film. So yeah, like in the beginning of the – okay, good, 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 because it's one of my favorite X-Men movies. So yeah, I, I saw that it. as <laughs> – yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, up there with X2 and uh, Logan. So would my, be my man. top three. My man. <laughs> okay. I knew good, we good, were good. friends for a reason. <laughs> Okay, don't go that far. Anyways, okay. yeah, so it's not even <laughs> not even in the camp of, like, mutants and their abilities. It's just, like, very, again, like, understated or nuanced. But in the same mm-hmm. way as, like, Magneto hunting down uh, Nazis in the beginning of the film, and then, like, he's going after Shaw and, like, using his abilities to hunt down, like, people, enemy of the states or, you know, Nazis, <laughs> is, like, the same way that this show is treating their superpowers. It's, like... It's relying on their character, their intelligence, their teamwork first, and then as a last resort is their superpower. So I really like that much, and it's kind of a weaker version of League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. So it's like it has that time mm-hmm. element, timepiece element, and like what you were talking about, this is during a period where it was during the Sino-Japanese, or Sino-Japanese? Yeah, Sino, meaning... Chinese, but the Sino-Japanese War and the Russo-Japanese War that led up into World War II. Mm-hmm. So a lot of that is set up in the first three episodes is that giving you this world is a world of conflict. It's like you said, like a Cold War between these two countries, even though Japan is occupying China. So we kind of get that that's the arcing of the whole event. So it doesn't feel episodic as much as like Iron Man did last week where it's just a monster of the week is that you see that we're in a historical period that all these events are leading up to something so you're more invested in it in total definitely i would say uh you had mentioned how it how this series reminded you of x-men when i was watching it it reminded me of the anime read or die have you had a chance to have, have you ever heard of that one or uh watch it yourself uh i've heard of it but i'm not familiar with it yeah, so it's a little bit similar. I would say 
it's in between being a little bit more lighthearted, maybe a little bit more greedy. There was an OVA as well as an anime, and it was something very similar to this. In the anime, you followed these uh, three girls, their sisters, and they have supernatural powers in terms of paper and what they can do with it. One can uh, use paper to make familiars, another could use paper to make weapons, and another person could reinforce the properties of paper, make it as strong or as brittle as it needed to be. And it was essentially them t carrying out uh, missions for a uh, super secret spy organization that they were a part of. And it was a loose historical adaptation, or not really adaptation, but they had to do with historical figures and there was some time travel involved as well. And I would say when I watched that, it was a fun ride. And uh, especially with the OVA, it was mainly the characters and how fun they were having. It remind Night Raid reminded me a little bit of that, but it seems like it's going to be taking a little bit more of a real world approach, as you said. You'll have it's they're more focused on their natural abilities rather than their supernatural abilities, and you even get this within the group themselves. With for instance, Aoi, I think he's uh, younger than uh, uh, Kazura, the guy from the uh, military academy, but you can tell that their personalities are different, and th that's something that they have to overcome. Whereas Aoi, he is a little bit more dependent on his powers than the rest of the group, which is ironic because he is the only one that has the time limit in which he can use his powers. And uh, Kazura, uh, the one who can teleport, he doesn't use his powers at all, mainly because he has a sense of honor. For instance, if the person that he is fighting doesn't have the same capabilities that he has, then it's not honorable to him. But he, he thinks of it as underhanded in trying to use his teleportation abilities to get the upper hand. Because as we see him fight other people in the previous episodes, he doesn't use his power. But in episode three, when he's fighting the guy who basically has all of their powers, the guy starts teleporting in front of him. And it's only then that we see him start to use his fight, uh, start to use teleportation in his fights. It's because, you know, the other guy can teleport too. So he's all about being fair. And you definitely see their ideologies clash and start to have their effect on one another. Whereas Aoi sees that him not using, uh, where he sees that the teleporter is not using his power because of a sense of shame. Whereas, you know, he should be proud of who he is. And sometimes there are instances where he needs to use his power, even though. He may think of it as dishonorable or unfair, and the teleporter's ideology on Aoi, whereas, again, he can't depend on his power all the time, that he needs to get good in other areas so that he doesn't get left in a situation where uh, he can't get out of because of his reckless use of his abilities. And I would say I also liked how... Uh, in the episodes, it gives you a brief uh, historical blip or factoid uh, before the episode happens. Uh, for instance, in episode three, how it uh, gave you that exposition about the shops that were getting bombed. It was 
very, very interesting because, as you said earlier, Jay, uh, coming from the West, I know nothing about this era. So any information that they give me from this show, I'm gladly willing to take, even though it's confusing at first because I didn't realize how many hands were in the pot during this time period. Yeah, for sure. So they are taking like a good creative license to interject this story into historical mm-hmm. events. So everything that they do show in the show, they do show in the <laughs> anime is part of like history's record of these time periods. So a lot of the stuff that they do in Shang, uh, Shanghai during this occupation mm-hmm. of the Japanese Imperial forces, like actually did happen so even the bombing that goes on in episode three the spies they don't share the same historic names like we talked about uh with it was it haku hakuki hakuki we talked about i believe before about uh the japanese edo period with the uh the demons and the samurais and all that was going on basically all the characters in that anime was a historic figure but everything that's going on in the show did historically happen they're just putting fictional characters in the backdrop very much like uh league of extraordinary gentlemen it's like this is a world of supernatural people but of course a government would keep them (laughs) under wraps so it does have this real world deniability of like oh, of course there would have been like secret power agents working behind the scenes to prevent things from happening. So that gives a real tangible feel to the show without kind of insulting the audience saying that like, oh, there's actually superheroes saving us and keeping things from happening. No, (laughs) they still happened as history happened or has yeah. said they happened as it's just that they were also there either failing or succeeding. So I really mm-hmm. like that kind of creative Liberty they took in that. And the other thing that caught my attention about that was that we did get to see how, I guess a Chinese production studio treated uh, Chinese uh, I guess their depiction of Chinese life at the time, because uh-huh. nothing was very like, nothing was very like uh, out of ordinary, like oppressive. They weren't really showing that, Oh, we were right to occupy that country kind of mentality. It wasn't, it was very neutral in that kind of cultural yeah. superiority or cultural um, versus state of like, Oh, we did do this thing. We're not saying that it's good. We're not saying it's bad. We're just saying that it, it happened. happened. <laughs> it happened. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it happened. So it was very interesting to see that kind of neutral approach to it, given that we're talking about Japanese, like basically secret weapons mm-hmm. going into another country, kind of to undermine it, to combat like what they would identify as terrorists, while the Chinese would identify it as like freedom freedom fighters so it's really yeah it's very interesting they're balancing this act in this very you know it's only 13 episodes but they're going at this very historically sound they're going it without a overly pro-japanese like uh, depiction of events so it's really interesting that they're taking it like very respectfully to address both sides of the um events that went on in the series even having like the main character being half chinese half japanese or having like Mm -hmm. chinese upbringing definitely and 
Uh, talking about the Chinese a little bit, uh, when you watched it, Jay, did you watch the dub or the sub? I watched the sub. Okay, because when when I, I watched the dub, and I'm just looking at the uh, reception article on Wikipedia right now, and it says that it got uh, uh, commended for using Chinese dialogue. And when I watched the dub, I there, there wasn't any uh, Chinese in it at all. But in the sub that you watched, were there parts where they spoke in Chinese? Yes, there were. So, like, they would say the correct Chinese name to referring to people, places, things that were, like, culturally Chinese. So that's what I'm saying is, like, they okay. did their due credit to, like, identifying things that were Chinese without saying, like, oh, this is uh, – they weren't really like passing a judgment. It wasn't really subjective. It was just, again, very objectively presenting facts as they were. So they did pay attention to that in the, in the sub, at least as, as I was listening to it and reading along is that they called out all the Chinese things as their proper name without Japan, Japifying it, Japanizing it. I forgot yeah. what that verb is, but yeah, like not putting it in the Japanese context, they kept it in the Chinese context. Okay, that's good. I would have to go back and watch it again, because I think with with the names of the uh, of the stores that were being bombed, they mentioned how they were nicknamed the Big Four, which which was interesting uh, to sort of parallel uh, in anime what we called as the Big Three. I was like, oh, so like that idea of calling anything that's like popular is like the Big, however many it is, you know, that sort of thing. But I would like to go back and at least like rewatch to see if the English dub did use the proper Chinese names for specific places and uh, people, things of that nature. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that was just uh, I mean, they didn't explain it, but I guess that's just a little bit of my personal knowledge of cultural things in China is that, you know, they call mm -hmm. things like the big four, given like the four guardians gods okay. like the phoenix the turtle the tiger and i always forget the last one um Google, tiger it's not a dragon is it no yeah the dragon the phoenix the turtle, turtle and, and the tiger. yeah yeah so yeah i mean and recently in god of high school one of the uh martial art characters fights with like all four of the four god fighting mm -hmm. technique but anyways yeah so like yeah the four the Big Four is kind of like common nomenclature when it's talking about naming things. Um, so like it's the Big Four of blah, blah, blah. And that's how they just kind of uh, refer to that in the time, given like it's north, east, south, and west, uh, given that each god guards a direction. Mm -hmm. And same thing with like Shanghai. It's kind of structured in that way with the city grid. So it's very much residence with, again, like, keep saying back that is like they're paying attention to Chinese culture and Chinese uh, importance in the story. And it's really interesting that again, like why that's interesting is because mm -hmm. we talked about this as an original anime and this is a collaboration project called power of anime. And we talked about this earlier, Sam, do you remember which anime also fell under this title? I feel like it was an anime that I did. I can't remember. Like you said, it was another anime original. Off the yeah, top of yeah, my yes. head. Um, oh, I, I, I can't remember off the top of my head. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's pretty long ago, but yeah. So, Power of Anime was a collaboration project between mm-hmm. uh, Tokyo, or sorry, TV Tokyo and Aniplex. Yeah. So, the other anime we talked about part of this project was Occult Academy. Yes, yes. And oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. So original, they, original they, animes yeah. uh, that was just created for original like IP creations that mm-hmm. were like departed from any bases in a visual novel or a manga series. So yeah. So it was this one, uh, a cold Academy and sound of the sky. Okay. Now, now that you think about it, it does have a very similar feeling. Uh, the, the art style is similar, but not as it, it has, has a, has a very similar feeling to a cold Academy. So I, I, I well, yeah. Do that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's the same production company. It's A1 Pictures, and, like, A1 Pictures does have, like, a aesthetic that they can dive into, but they have kind of a wide range as well. So I'm not surprised that they do have, like, aesthetic similarities to a Cult mm-hmm. Academy. We haven't talked about Sound of the Sky because that's kind of the one that kind of gets dropped off when you mention the Power of Anime projects. And it's interesting that the project was supposed to go on for like years, but after these first three given, they were all in 2010 and no one really cared about any of them. Like they really didn't care about original anime at the time. So it was kind of just dropped. So it's really yeah. sad that we only got these three out of it. Cause it's a very interesting project. And we've seen other projects come up like to just produce original projects. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's that Aniplex and Tokyo TV, given their big sway in the industry, kind of said, yeah, we'll do this. But yeah, it's just stopped there. Oh, it's sad because at least it seemed like, the, uh, at least with this one and with the Cold Academy, it seemed like they wanted to play around with time and historical events a little bit. And it would have been interesting to see what other works that they would have made had it uh continued so with uh jay do you have any uh what what were your overall thoughts with the uh first three episodes of night raid that you saw well if i'm going to give it a sus (laughs) not sus Mm -hmm. but i'm going to give it a suspect or expect which i did forget to mention at the beginning so sorry about that but yeah yeah, our segments of talking about is this something that we expect or suspect for the rest of the series. And I'm going to have to put this in the expect because I definitely want to go watch how everything rolls out. Given that, mm-hmm. you know, these are historical events. I'm keeping track of like Moriarty the Patriot for this season and it's yeah. definitely in kind of the same historical context of the time. And I like anything really historic as a genre because – you want to see like different perspectives and how do animation studios or writers kind of see this period. And given that this is a period, like you said, I'm not very familiar with, but they are taking like a very nuanced, nuanced, nuanced (laughs) approach to viewing this like very small events that they're just looking at this one city. They're looking at a very controlled timeline of events. They're looking at, a very interesting character piece of like the dynamic between these four people, their relationship with their superpower, their own motives and why they're becoming spies or became spies and their history as like military individuals as well. And if mm-hmm. like, is this, are their superpowers because they were born with them or is it something that was injected into them? Because there is a genre tag of science fiction 
So yeah. we haven't really seen much science fiction so far, so I'm very interested to see where that's going to come into the play. So I'm going to say that this is definitely an expect for me, especially so because the director is the one that did Blood Plus. So oh, I've been trying I'm, to watch that recently. So it's the same director. Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, same director. And I kind of see the influence between the two series because this is a very well-directed and well-shot mm-hmm. anime. It's just beautiful to look at, same way as with Bocorano or 21 Days, how they kind of address the gangster, the spy kind of genre mm-hmm. in a very like visually interesting way. So yeah, those are my final thoughts. How about you, Sam? Are you more sus or are you more expect? I would say I'm more sus in the sense that with the mystery behind the brother and it being spy, it seems as though it's going to fall into the trope to where the brother is uh, the reason why he was working for the uh, spy, the uh, the counter spy organization is because he was trying, because he, he was involved with the origination of the current spy organization that we find out and he had some ideological disagreements with them and he now had to make his own group or side with the enemy to try to make things right quote unquote it it seemed like a common trope but with the characters and the dynamic that they have with each other on the missions that is very interesting and even though, as you said earlier, the show is very episodic, I normally don't like episodic shows, but the way that they shot these first three episodes, it did feel very linear in trying to tell its story. As you said, the directing is uh, very well done and makes you feel the overarching story that there is a that there is a story. It's not a sort of a bad guy or an episode of the week type deal. It all leads into another. So even though I am suspect, I would like to uh, finish this anime sometime in the future. All right, good. Uh, I think we have two definitions of expected suspect then, but that's okay. (laughs) Though we're both interested to finish this series, but yeah. Oh yeah. I guess that's fair to say that you're like weary of the series to be sus of it versus, Oh, I'm so excited to continue this rest of the series is the expect kind of result where sus is more of the, Oh, well, I guess I'll keep watching it, but you guys have already, you're getting your second finger waggle of <laughs> of, of Sam. So Sam, uh, yes. let's wrap up this episode. So Jay, do no, you have wait, anything to we say? Can't. Oh. Jay, no, we can't. We're out of time. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Weebs on the Weekends podcast. We have been your part-time Weeb hosts, Jay Johnson and Sam Martinez. Have a beautiful weekend, and we'll see you next time, our fellow Weebs. 